All right, welcome to this week of Done This Week podcast. Um, this is our third third show. We're, we've got a bit of a got a bit of a uh, got a bit <laughs> momentum. We got a bit, <laughs> a bit of, of momentum. momentum. That's the word. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we're getting to we're getting into a good rhythm here. I'm having like a ton of fun yeah. doing this, and it's been like a really good exercise. I think on like a weekly sort of thing, planning out the episode. It's it's been awesome. Yeah, um, I think once you get past episode three, you're you're there. I think I mean, you're in like the 99% of podcasts. Probably. <laughs> pod, pa- past podcast <laughs> episode three. Um, but yeah, anyway, what did you get done this week? I've had a bit of a boring week. We're launching a new website. So it's been a lot of like copywriting, fixing buttons, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, just mainly focused on that and then some product stuff. What's the copywriting process? Like? Are you using like a lot of AI stuff or? No, I, I mean, what? so what I have been doing because Wizza is like magic themed is I'll kind of go into chat GPT and say, like, give me 50 words related to magic or like, here's a sentence, make it like more magical or whatever. Yeah. So I'll do that a bit just to like come up with words that I wouldn't normally think of. Um, but otherwise, I I feel like I just want to try to like explain things the way I would say it to someone. And so I think like me doing it just conversationally is the best and talking it over with people. But yeah. Yeah, I think like that's honestly the one of the best use cases for ChatGPT, at least for me. It's like I think it's the best brainstorming partner Mm -hmm. because they come with unlimited ideas and you can just like mold them in whatever way you want. And it's kind of like a sparring partner you're just going back and forth with. And I I really enjoy it. I also watched today uh, the OpenAI um, developer summit. Yeah, there's a lot of really cool things. I actually started building. So I had just posted last the last episode and I had done I have a bunch of prompts for like helping me write descriptions for like what actually happened in the episode based on transcripts. And so I was like starting to get into building like an agent potentially for the mm. podcast posting where it's like I loaded the transcript, I loaded the clips, it gives me the it gives me the description, it gives me the show notes and all that kind of stuff. Um, so is that or is it like a templated GPT? It's, it's essentially a templated GPT where like you can pull in data from multiple sources and like that was like a lot of the different product changes that came with the newest development pieces. Like one, they're uh, completely like 16xing the amount of content that you can actually have as contextual content into a current prompt. Right. And then also just opening up a lot of different avenues to actually bring content in. Uh, but I was also I was scrolling on Twitter and I, I saw like a bunch of people being like, OpenAI just killed my startup. OpenAI right. just killed my startup. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but I think that's, I think when you're kind of like building in like this fast moving out of industry, it's like if you're enjoying that rocket ship growth that all of these, you know, early rappers for ChatGPT have enjoyed, you also have to expect that like, uh, you know, it's going to pro- potentially come crashing down as 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 fast, right? Yeah. So. yeah. I mean, you, you cannot build an entire business on an API call to ChatGPT. Right. Um, so, yeah, not surprised. For sure. What did you get done this week? Um, Honestly, just a lot of product work, a lot of kind of setting up a lot of the team members to start taking a lot more responsibility, brought on a new uh, uh, head of operations, which has like been taking over like a ton of a lot of the stuff that I've just been like slacking on, which has been really, really great. And so not a lot of deep productive work. Um, I'm working on a presentation. I'm going to Bangkok in December for affiliate world. So like my mornings right now are just really trying to centralize information and lay out the talk and laying out a keynote. It's like a lot of work. I'm kind mm. of like mildly regretting accepting it because I'm like, fuck, it's a lot of work. Um, What's the topic? It's going to be how to uh, get rid of creative burnout, specifically for TikTok ads. Um, and so building operations and systems and inspiring creative thinking inside of your organization so that one idea generation, but also learnings from the ads that you're currently running 
are just like feeding into a funnel and like a flywheel of creating new content and optimizing performance. Mm. Um, and then I also wrote our first like newsletter. I started writing this newsletter called 80, 80MP, like advertising design and product. And we sent that out and I got like a ton of, I was like looking at the replies and like a ton of like really awesome feedback. And so that's been a lot of fun and very similar to this podcast. It's, I have like two spaces now on, on a week where a large, what's falling on my shoulders is just like research and like learning and like mm. being curious. And so, uh, I, I've really just enjoyed like both of those things. Uh, and it's, and, and writing, I think is just like a really great, uh, way of s solidifying what your thoughts are on a topic, uh, and then being able to communicate them. So, um, yeah, bunch of that. Cool. Um, I watched a video this week that I found like super fascinating on a company called dollar general. I'm sure you've heard one of, of your favorite general. stores. I assume. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't have it in Canada, but after, after hearing about them, I, I do need to go to one. Um, <laughs> So it is, it's a crazy business model. So uh, I took some notes here. So first of all, they do almost $40 billion in revenue. Um, roughly 5% of that's net profit. So somewhere around like a billion dollars a year in profit. Uh, they add two and a half stores per day in the United States alone. So they're adding like eight or 900 stores per year. Um, and their whole business model is that they go in areas that Walmart can't. So they're in certain towns with like an 800 person population and they're able to generate a profit because they have insanely low rents. I think on average, they spend less than $10,000 a month in rent for like a big store. They have insanely low costs. You want to guess what the average and So is the size of a dollar is the size of a dollar general similar to like the size of a Walmart or it's, kind of comparable? Cause like smaller the dollar stores in Canada are like tiny. Yeah. It's, it's bigger than probably what we okay. have here, but it's, it's certainly smaller than a Walmart. Um, do you want to guess what the average dollar general employee makes per year? Average dollar. I don't even know what the average salary is. And is this like a full-time employee? Yeah. I don't know, like 30 or 40 K. $16,600. Wow. Yeah. Cause they're in these, they're in these very small towns, um, where I guess, I guess maybe that's, uh, sufficient uh, enough to live there. Maybe um, not. <laughs> maybe not or not. Um, so, and, and they're in these areas that they call food deserts. So these are towns where there is no grocery store, even like even a grocery store can't operate profitably and, wow. and a dollar store, dollar general franchise is able to do it. Um, so they go to these like food deserts, population seven, 800, they hire like one or two people. Um, and what they do in their business model, which is smart. Um, they only pretty much have one skew for each. So if you want like laundry detergent, there's only tied one size, like that's what you get there. So it makes the business model very simple and they're able to bring their prices down on that one unit. The other thing that's really interesting is because they're in these small towns where the income is very, very low, people actually need to manage their cash flow even when it comes to like laundry detergent, for example. So even though like a big thing of Tide might be like 20 cents a wash, they sell it in these $1 hmm. size and it's like 60 cents per wash, but the people can't spend like the $12 on the big Tide. Wow. So they get the small little one to like manage what their What was cash this video flow. watch? Was it like a documentary or was it just kind of like a breakdown, like one of those business you, breakdown videos? It's So there's a channel I watch a lot of called Wendover okay. um, and they cover just like pretty much like random topics and just go like really deep on it. And like these like 20 minute, like mini documentaries kind of. Um, so they cover like a ton of information. It's not always like businesses, but 
obviously the business ones I find most interesting. Um, what else? Yeah. So one dollar versions of of items, even though the cost is higher. I just think it's like an insane business, like to go after these these small towns. And it, I don't think it exists here in Canada, and certainly not like in other countries. Um, but it's smart because these people like. The closest grocery store or Walmart is like 30 or 45 minute drive away too. Right. So even when you account for like gas or potentially something that's maybe cheaper or something like that, it just doesn't actually net out. And yeah. So it's like they found like it's legitimately the definition of like a market opportunity. Where right. Like the market has a desire and like they're serving it. So right. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, you got to operate it profitably because the like you the town's 700 people. You only right. have. Launching like two stores a day is like absolutely insane. The Crazy. operational lift of that is, is probably wild. Crazy. Um, I, I always like get turned off with the like operationally complex businesses. Like it seems, it sounds cool. They're like they're cool headlines, but it's like, oh no, that's actually just like hell that you're living in consistently. <laughs> <laughs> and you need to go to these small right. random towns. Like where do you even stay? They don't that have hotels. That being said, like I, I've started like the process in, in figuring out how I'm going to acquire my private pilot's license. Okay. Um, and I don't know if you ever read Sam Walton's book of like Walmart by the end of his like career, his main job was just to fly and find new locations. And like Walmart very quickly became a real estate company and not the, instead of selling product. Right. And so he had a private pilot's license and he spent all of his final years at Walmart flying from small town to small town. And what he would do is he would like, like from the sky and this is like before Google maps and, and all of these things, he would start placing the Walmarts, um, in between two cities and like that was his strategy mm. where it was just like instead of it putting in one city and then the other city had a 30 minute drive he'd put it in between two cities and then the two smaller cities would have like a 15 minute drive That's smart and he would start to like kind of triangulate and the rents Walmart's. are probably way cheaper the rents probably way cheaper and, or the land at least um, but i just think that's like like a super cool like arc of if i were to think of if i was like in my 50s or 60s if i could just like fly around the united states of america <laughs> um by myself like that would be amazing yeah i mean yeah that's that i mean it's interesting. It's something you don't like running an online business. You don't think of like the science to like where things are located. Like yeah. we're just people, we just go to places, but like I'm sure a ton of thinking goes into like why the Starbucks is exactly there or why the Walmart's exactly there. Um, so it's an interesting it's, area. Yeah. It's an interesting problem, problem to solve them too. I, I have a, have a little like company that I've been obsessing about, or at least a product. Do you have a Ninja Creamy? I don't have one. Okay, you need to I've get okay, things. yeah, you need to get a Ninja Creamy. I got a Ninja Creamy. Uh, one, I absolutely love ice cream. It's like my favorite treat that I could possibly have. Like, and like if I could eat only two. So, things, what what is a Ninja Creamy? Okay, a Ninja Creamy is essentially a, a new version of a blender in which you take <clears throat> a canister, you put in whatever your base for the ice cream is going to be, uh, but it also can be things that are healthy. Like I've been just doing protein shakes. Um, and essentially you freeze the the base inside of this and then you, and so you freeze it for 24 hours and then you put it into the machine and there's a bunch of different settings and it has a blade uh, that has two different blades on it. One kind of plunders the material and the other one shaves the material. And so you get this like shaving of the ice and then the plundering of it, which gives this creamy effect. Um, anyway, it's, it's like an incredible product. Like 100% recommend buying one. Like I know there was a, a shortage and they were going for like 4X on eBay like during the summer. Um, and so I, I started like looking into kind of one Ninja's product. And I, I love when products start to go viral on like TikTok and things like that. And I kind of dive into it. Um, so what's really cool about the Ninja Creamy is it wouldn't exist if a patent didn't expire. And so there's this, so taking a, a long kind of like 
you know, road back uh, to 1980, there was this Swiss, I think it was Swiss. Uh, yeah, Swiss-born engineer um, who was living in Brazil and he was making ice cream in a similar way using a drill press. And so the way that Ninja Creamy works is like the blade slowly works its way through. And so he was doing this with a drill press and he created the Paco Jet. Uh, but he ended up being more of like an inventor rather than an entrepreneur. And so he sold it um, to some other company who once they kind of like bought his patent and everything like that, they had realized it's really expensive to actually produce this machine. Uh, and so they ended up just like selling it into uh, commercial kitchens. And so if you go to, you know, a nice restaurant where you can get, you know, house-made gelato and you get those like little like scoops and stuff like that, they're probably using a Paco Jet because they've had a patent on this technology. Um, and a Paco Jet costs around $6,500. Um, but so the patent expired in 2017 and Ninja then kind of saw this patent expired, obviously developed the product and tried to figure out if they could make it a consumer product. And they launched it in 2021. Um, and I feel like I didn't start actually hearing about this product until this year. Mm. And what's interesting about the Ninja uh, corporate, like it's called the Shark Ninja Jet Corporation. Uh, they actually went public this July as well. And so part mm. of me is thinking like maybe that like Ninja was a well-known brand, but I think the Creamy was like a massive success for them. Um, and I was looking at their stock and so like they lost like 36% from, from IPO, but it's regained 70% since August of this year. Mm. And so it's definitely like, a, I mean, it's an amazing product making company. And I like this idea generally of, um, finding, you know, solutions that exist in potentially markets that are outside of consumer and then, you know, uh, democratizing them for the consumer, mm. I think is like a really cool idea. Um, and I was actually like thinking about this, if there's like a business actually in that as a core, mm -hmm. idea, you know, um, the way I'm thinking about it is like, imagine if you had a database of all the expire of all patents when they're going to expire. And like, that's the easy answer. But then with like AI, you could even have now information about consumer trends. Um, and then apl like applying the current reality to old patents and see, and like starting to like iterate on business ideas and essentially have like an endless stream um, of new ideas and opportunities of, of patents that might expire. Mm, yeah, I mean, a data. I wonder if that exists, a database of expiring patents. I feel like that has to, to exist because yeah. I feel like it's such like a core of, of so many businesses. Yeah. Um, definitely like not in software, but in like hardware yeah. and things like that. Or, or like medical, like so talked about hair loss before, but HIMS uh, was started because finasteride, I think was the brand name, whatever, okay. the hair loss yeah. drug that patent ran out and so you could make like off-brand um hair loss drugs and that's what they started doing it and like shipping to people's doors and they're i think a billion dollar company so there's definitely massive potential in like these expiring patents yeah i mean now that like it's kind of like shifting towards winter and i'm starting to feel like the the toronto blues start i'm like being a lot more analytical one i'm using the ninja creamy less and then two i'm starting <laughs> to be like a lot more analytical about like the city that i'm like living in and i've been like thinking a lot about like what makes a good city and like we we both live in toronto although like most of us most of the time we don't have winters i think i'm gonna have more winter than i usually do this mm -hmm. year um but i'm curious to hear like your gut reaction towards toronto as a city because you actually like grew up here mm. what do you like about it and what do you don't like what don't you like about it well first of all i think it's a great city like it's one of those things you grow up here and you think, oh, it's not a great city. And then I've spent some time in other cities now and I'm like, no, Toronto's Toronto's pretty good, especially outside of the winter. Um, what I do like about it, it's a, it's a, I, I personally prefer big cities. Um, I just feel more like myself in a big city. Um, so 
I mean, it's it's hard when not comparing it to another city, but I feel like there's still like a good amount of space in Toronto. Um, there's a good like you're drivable to like ski hills. Um, I mean, bad ski hills. Yeah, not not the best skiing, but there's water. There's like you know, there's like a decent amount of nature here. I okay, think. here's the thing. I ha- here's my gripe with Toronto is exactly the way that you're reacting to it. It is so <laughs> lukewarm about everything it does. Like Toronto actually isn't great at, at anything. It is like a it is like a B player on all fronts <laughs> and like C in some fronts, but like I think that's my biggest gripe with Toronto. One, it's like you're in Canada, which whatever, right. um, not not the best, especially if you're an entrepreneur, not the best place to be. But I just like I find it hard to ever think like, okay, what is Toronto exceptional at? And it's like the answer to that I've, I've, I haven't actually. Found. Well, I think if you ask like ninety nine percent of cities, they're gonna they're gonna fail that test. Do you feel like you hear people talk? as admirate like admirably about toronto though as like for example new york no people like people here it is like i live here yeah people not, like when I people talk this. about new york they're they're like it's the greatest city in the world but new york is so expensive to live that if you're spending that kind of money to live there it's like a filter for you love it like right if you're lukewarm about it leave because you're paying like way too much money and i think that's like a lot of big cities that's true um I- but i think well like being a b player in a lot of things is like a generally well-rounded city that's true yeah no i i i've i do have just like a love and hate relationship and then the traffic's just getting really bad and i feel like whoever's like designing our roads and making the decisions about that is a fucking idiot and <laughs> it's i know there's some major road closures that have been brutal to deal with one last note on this i think the thing that toronto is missing and then what i get in a lot of like u.s cities and this part might might be that when you're traveling, you're more outgoing and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I feel like we have a lack of this is idea about like third spaces. Um, and it's what like a lot of European countries are like based around. It's just like the optimization of third space. And so the idea is like a third space is a place that's not your home and it's not your work, but it's a place that you go to um, in which like time can pass passively. And it's like <laughs> we don't actually have that. Like we don't have like really good coffee shops that are like spacious. Like everything is kind of like a hole in the wall where like people actually are in and then out and they go to work. Um, we don't really have like good, like libraries or like, or just like places where people can like congregate and either like experience things, um, or just have like a space outside of the home. And I feel like that's hmm. the piece that's like missing from Toronto. The gym, <laughs> the gym is one, like I, uh, mine is, is the granite, which is like a right. country yeah. club, I guess. membership fee. (laughs) Yeah. So like generally for like this, that's I think that's the part is like, there's like a, there's a a lack of just like these like central spaces in Toronto that are just like good. Like, and like an example would be like in the summer, like the waterfront ends up being one. Like you can go to the waterfront, spend time and just be happy without having to like do a thing. Right. Like sign up for a thing or something like that. And I think we just like, it makes it hard when you have this like very vast like seasonality and, and, between like summer and winter yeah yeah i mean i do think that the city is so starkly different like in the winter and the summer like when i'm here in the summer i'm like why do i even leave here so much like it's great it's great and then as soon as like even now it's like dark at five o'clock it's like what am i doing here so yeah it's it's a love hate have you heard of this new pizza place that's opened in toronto now prince street yeah, so I, one I know it's like it's like from LA or something like that, and I've been seeing a bunch of like influencers post that they're going to get pizza. Yeah, I, I think it's from I think it's from New York, or maybe maybe both. Um, but our, my office is like very close to this new like Prince Street pizza, and I'm noticing all around my office there's like 
empty pizza boxes just like on the floor in like kind of like prime locations like the along street? the sidewalk on, on like the street like along on... the sidewalk kind of like i'm like either everyone's just littering or this place is doing some kind of like guerrilla marketing scheme where they're just like throwing boxes all around downtown. Okay, so just to be clear, your conspiracy is that Prince Street Pizza is littering Toronto with their pizza boxes? Yes. As a marketing Yes, and, but they're not the first to do it. It was a Red Bull marketing strategy. I think they did this like 20 years ago. Hmm. They were trying to break into London because I guess no one in the UK had Red Bull. And what they would do is go outside like clubs and like just like busy hotspots and fill entire recycling bins like exploding out with just like empty Red, Red Bull cans, which is so smart because it's free cans that you have like lying around. Um, and if I don't know, I think in the back of my head, I'd be like, oh, Red Bull. I saw that like at the bar and then I guess people liked them. Like, I think you know. even more for pizza, because I think one pizza is kind of once people once someone has like a pizza joint, I feel like it ends up being like their pizza joint. And so <laughs> like, I don't think a lot of people joint. are just like, you, you know, like going around and I mean, maybe, I don't know, but it's like, once you find like the pizza you like, it's like, that's a pizza you're going to order. Um, and so I guess like, yeah, adding the social proof around, okay, everybody's trying this. It's like, you kind of just need someone to try it once you have a good product, you know, potentially you've won that customer with like a nice LTV. Right. Yeah. I, I had it yesterday. It was, was it good? It was okay. It's like thick pizza, right? Yeah, it's like very like doughy. Yeah, I, li I like th I like thinner pizza. When I was when I was in Miami, um, I had this like pizza. We went to this place called like, fuck, I wish I could remember the name of it. I can't remember, <laughs> but it was like this like the thinnest, crispiest pizza with like this is gonna sound weird, but it's like the pizza was warm, and then on top of it was the milk from like a burrata ball. <laughs> just like over it so you had this like hot cold contrast and then truffle oil it was it was by far the best mm. pizza i've ever had shout out shout out to my friend noah from social snowball took took me there and I, he was like dude i'm gonna show you this pizza and he like overplayed it and i was like okay dude like whatever pizza no it was, it was outstanding actually, well right by my house there's that place with general tau chicken pizza that's so, too fat and i me. drove by it i drove by it today it's actually not just a pizza place it's a pizza place chinese restaurant okay. combined so that's we'll try it once. A little, a little fusion. <laughs> okay, so I have a question for you. All right. So I got this in a newsletter I'm subscribed to from James Clear. Um, and I thought it was like a good question. So which habit, which, which habit is least aligned? Which habit do you have is least aligned with the person you want to become? <sighs> Man. <deep. laughs> You've already thought of your answer to this yeah, question. And I now you're putting me on the spot. Which habit do I have that's least aligned with the person I want to become? I feel like the answer is watching YouTube videos. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's probably the biggest thing. I don't really watch TV shows. The story behind that is when I dropped out of university, I was like, I'm dropping out of university. This is like a loser, a quote unquote loser move. Um, I'm also not going to like sit on the couch and like watch TV being a dropout. So I was like, okay, I'm going to offset with like dropping out of university with, um, just not allowing myself to watch TV for a year. And so it kind of just like stuck that I just like didn't watch TV, don't watch Netflix. I don't really watch movies anymore. But what slowly like filled that space was like watching YouTube content. And I would say if we were talking about, if you were like, look at my day and do like a time study, if I actually looked at the amount of time that I watch YouTube videos, it would be like disgusting. Like at the, at the level in which like how many hours, uh, I would, I mean, I would say it's probably an hour a day, Okay, but like, that's reasonable. It's, I think it's reasonable, 
but like there's like days in which like maybe I'll miss the gym and quote unquote say that I'm busy, but I'll like then I'll before bed just be like laying on the couch watching YouTube videos. Mm. Um, and I'm actually like I have I have like a little hack that I'm gonna try to do. I'm getting a stationary like bike mount for for my road bike, and so I'm just gonna make like a rule. I, I don't do well with like balance. I only do well with binary rules. Right. And so I'm just gonna make a rule that's like, I'm not allowed to watch YouTube unless I'm either like on the bike or stretching. Cause I think that's like another thing for me. We both like spend so much time sitting. It's like, I can actively feel it affecting my body. And so, um, yeah, I actually ordered it two days ago. So once that's in, that's the new rule that's gonna happen with YouTube videos. But I would say that's the piece where if I was, it's another idea that I have is whenever you like are trying or evaluating your life, it's like, pretend like you're like the hero in a movie hmm. and it's like if you're watching a movie scene and you were doing a thing it's like would you be like rooting for the guy or would you be, be like wow this guy's a fucking loser right and i feel like if you always uh, default to the movie scene in which you're rooting for the person to win you're like will actually end up end up winning so hmm. what is what is your answer to the habit well that? i'm curious on the youtube thing because I, I watch like a good amount of youtube but i do feel like most of the youtube i watch is like educational what percentage is like bullshit versus actually you, you feel like you get value from it? I don't think I concluded my educational content in that hour long. Oh, okay. So like, <laughs> but the way I define educational content would be I'm outwardly searching for an answer right. on how to do something. Or for example, like the OpenAI summit, dev summit, like, right. I, like that was an hour today. I'm like, I'm not including that. Um, I'm talking about purely entertainment based I know we both like whistling diesel yeah. um, and I just, I like people like, you know, doing stunts and all of that kind of, kind of stuff. And I watch, I also watch like a few like vloggers that I just like, like watching like their business journey. This guy named Max Tuning is building a, a, like a sour candy company. And so they have like these, like you could, you can make the argument that you're quote unquote learning, but it's probably better that you're reading a book um, or just like researching your market and, and, and stuff like that. I, I find it. I found the argument hard to make that YouTube is the best source of like enriched information. I think it's like good for learning how to do specific skills, but mm. like expanding your mind and things like that. There's definitely content out there, but I think that the wormhole is just too easy to slip into where you're just like watching stupid shit. Mm. Yeah. What's your sense. answer to the habit that you have? So my gut instinct when I first read the question was like, oh, it's gotta be drinking. I stewed on it a bit more and I was like, I, I, one, I don't think I have a, pro, a like problem with alcohol. Um, I think you have a problem with FOMO. I think that's the only, you don't have a problem with <laughs> alcohol specifically. You have a, definitely have a problem with FOMO. Yeah, I, I, I probably do uh, have that. I mean, not entirely. Like I can't like, it's not like I can't miss a night out. But if I do think of like the person I want to become, I think for me that does include like partying sometimes and going out. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't think it was that one. Um, what I came up with was diet. I think like I, I'm very like streaky. I'll go like kind of like you said, I'm, I'm either all in or kind of all out. So I'll go multiple months where like I'm so on point with an exact like diet meal plan. And then I have periods now where like I moved and I, I don't have a kitchen. So I'm ordering a ton of Uber Eats. And now especially I'm feeling like the difference of just like I'm not even eating. It's not like I'm ordering like McDonald's, but I'm ordering like whatever, like sandwiches and stuff that's yeah. just like not the most nutritional. And I'm just feeling it. And I always seem to like, if something knocks me off my path, like I'm traveling or like I won't normally eat candy, but if I'm at the airport and I have like a six hour flight, I'll like break that rule, which is just like 
frustrating personally as like breaking promises to yourself and then also like the performance side of it of like how clear-minded you are and just yeah sticking to it i would say my thing is diet too i think i've i've also just like started to like really like restaurants like when you like work a ton you know fitting a restaurant into like a thing to just like do in a day it's like it kind of like brightens your day that's you know Mm -hmm. it's like good food it's like you have experience and you don't need to have prior commitment to like have that experience you can just literally just like show up um so i feel like i've just been like eating at too many restaurants in terms of like diet it's just i should probably then no matter like how healthy of a meal you get at a restaurant it's like they're all cooking with like really shitty oils and like right unless you do like a lot of due diligence um i actually got this app called seed oil scout I know you're yeah that. that app dude if you are using seed oil scout in toronto there's that's nothing all, there is literally nothing it's the most depressing <laughs> app in the entire world you can literally eat at like impact kitchen and like one vegan restaurant yeah, and I know. that is the only thing it's like i'm gonna delete this app this doesn't solve my problem I know. um at all but yeah there's some chain that just announced they're going to stop using, oh, sweet cream, which we don't have. But yeah, I mean, do you still have Factor, the meal delivery yeah, service? I got, I have that. The only thing I don't like about that is that it comes in plastic and they say that it's like whatever, non-leaching plastic, blah, blah, blah. I still feel like putting plastic in the microwave for two out of your three meals in a day is just like not a good option. Ah, <laughs> I think it's fine. Speaking of seed oils, actually, I met a guy at the Hampton retreat that I went to and he... I actually don't know the full background. He's in like the kind of like farming industry and they, they're launching like their own version of like frozen frozen French fries where they're pre-frying them in beef tallow rather than like mm. seed oils. And like, we're going to be like the only seed oil free, like frozen fry. Um, and he actually said another really cool tidbit about um, your insulin response when eating potatoes. So I don't know the actual percentage, but like, let's just say you take a potato and you cook it there's a certain insulin response. Mm-hmm. If you take that potato, you cook it, you put it in the fridge and you reheat it the next day, the insulin response is like half. I don't know the exact whatever. Um, but I've also been seeing like some of like these like health guys I, I t- like watch now, like everyone's like, make sure you're reheating your potatoes. So that's kind of interesting. Mm. Um, Cause I always felt that potatoes always made me kind of feel good. Yeah, like, me too. They're just feel like, I'm like, oh, these are like meant to eat. It, yeah, I, I, I thrive on potatoes. like. Meat and potatoes is just like literally all I need. I, I, so I was trying to order something healthy with a friend last night on Uber Eats. And I was just like, there is absolutely nothing that's just like, when we were in Scottsdale, they had a place, but like, I just want like a, a lot of, like, why can I not just order like a chicken breast and potatoes right. or like, and vegetables? Like, that, that doesn't exist. Just like a simple kitchen does not exist. And I'm like, am I, is it just such a small market? Are we like in a in a small niche of people that like want that, or like is this a, an opportunity? I think it's an opportunity. Like, I mean, but again, it could be just it really could just be like a bias of right, like who you're around. Um, I wish like there was just a I wish there was a really good place where I could just, like literally just order ingredients rather than meals of just like I want a steak and then I want this cooked and cooked at my door like. Without yeah. all this bullshit, I don't want the fucking thing on top or like whatever. Um, I think there's definitely a market. I wanted to sort of ghost kitchen with you a while ago. What were remember? we gonna do? Smoothies. Smoothies. I was. I like crunched the numbers on it, and like I was like, I think that I think this could be like a great ghost kitchen. One, all of your produce is frozen by default, and so like you don't have a lot of waste. Waste. Um, you don't have need to have that much equipment. You don't, and like a 
in terms of like outfitting a commercial kitchen for this, you know, utility, you don't need stoves, you don't need range hoods. Like you could do it in, in, in kind of places you could get cheap real estate because you don't need to have all this stuff. Um, and then also it's just like a, I, like a pretty high margin, you know, kind of like product and, and things like that. Um, but again, like that's, and, and you don't need skilled labor. You don't need someone that knows how to measure and press a button. Like you don't need a cook. Flanders are tough. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should open like a Ninja Creamy. Yeah. Slash protein ice cream. Protein ice cream spot. We just have a bunch smoothies. of Ninja Creamies in my basement. Just crank <laughs> them out and stop working on the businesses and become, become the neighborhood ice cream man. Um, do you have a ring at your place? Yeah, I do. I just got one because I moved into the house. I'm shocked at how good of a product Ring is. For like 180 bucks or whatever the Ring doorbell is. It's the software is good. The like, software is great. Everything works perfectly. You can draw like a map of like the area of yeah. your house where if someone walks into, you get an alert. Um, it's connected to like your community so you can get like certain alerts if like someone like breaks into a car or whatever. It's so far and above any other like security I don't even know what there was before. I mean, I've never had security before, but it's it, like that. That's a product you use, and you're like, I understand why this company sold for a billion dollars. And so you, were, we were out, or I was at your house the other night, and you had got like a notification from like your other house um, that like someone. What, what was the notification you got? I think someone lost a cat, and yeah. So like it connects to your community, and then you know connects you with other Ring users, kind of similar to like an AirTag. Um, and we were just like you know bantering back and forth of you know. I don't even know how this came up. We're like, imagine like a ring dating app where it connected you with just other ring users. And then you could, I mean, this is a, this is a far-fetched idea. This is your idea, not mine. Yeah, for the is, record. This is, this is my retard idea. Um, you could literally just connect all ring users and you could set how far you want, you know, your perspective, like partner or one night stand to be. And then what you could do is like, someone could literally just like come up, ring your doorbell. You get a visual of them and you could just be like, accept or deny. And it's like, the, it's like the the biggest like in person booty call network mm. ring dating app. I think I think and they the could, door just opens and the door just opens and it's just, I mean it might work well better like better for like certain niche communities rather than the like, general pop. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was like a funny idea that we should um, include in the podcast. Imagine the fear of getting to someone's door and just like what are they gonna do? Click <laughs> yeah. X or, or check, <laughs> and then what happens when it's an X? It's just like turn around and go <laughs> home. <laughs> just turn around and you go just home. Just get an alert. Yeah. Oh, I think that's a good app for some stalkers. That's that's probably true. <laughs> um, I've also like I I've been reading a lot about one. I was like scrolling through TikTok, um, and I had seen like a bunch of people start posting about Gap, like the kind of affordable clothing brand, being like <laughs> Gap is like really crushing it, or like girls being like get your get your mans to Gap and all this shit. <laughs> and then it made me think of this idea that I had read about a while where it was uh, stock trading based on social arbitrage. So the whole strategy and there's entire actually like hedge funds based on this. Mm. Um, and so the idea is based on like so literally social sentiment, you make stock picks. Um, and it was funny. I was like, I was with you and I, when I kind of like brought this up and I was like, oh, let's like look at Gap stock. Um, and it was up like 40% in the last like six months. And so I think it's like a pretty interesting strategy mm. generally in terms of like picking, especially like consumer product stocks and things like that. Like this also kind of aligns with like the Ninja Creamy story and things like that. Mm. Um, we have like so much like inbound data about what the actual market thinks. Like they're, you know, the the smoke and mirrors of like Wall Street and like P&Ls. It's like, it's very likely that, you know, I mean, maybe this only pertains to the retail trader or something like that, but um, that like 
the actual like success of a company's stock might actually come full circle where it's like actually just like product and customer mm. feelings about the company. And I think that'd be really cool because I think what it means is the best companies and the best products win. Right. Um, which I think is, is kind of cool. And I I watched a YouTube video a while ago about a guy that had done this with Abercrombie. Like I'm, you know, Abercrombie was like super cool and we were like 13, 14. And then it had like a, a pretty slow period. And like mm-hmm. now Abercrombie is like cool again. Back. Yeah. Um, and he had like done a similar strategy and he like, it was like a hundred X or something. Right. Or not hundred X, hundred percent gain on just, he was like, oh, people are talking about this TikTok, buy the stock. And then right. um, when their next earnings call came along, it was like, oh, they did well. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I actually, a long time ago, I'm always on LinkedIn. And when I was doing sales, I was like, but this is interesting how you can see uh, what the company I had seen was Lululemon. And what I realized is like most of their employees, I forget the distribution now, but like 70 or 80% of their employees were based around like product innovation, like research and development, which sounds stupid for clothes, but like apparently they do a lot of I research. I mean, they definitely innovate. In yeah, they, they, yeah, they do some stuff, but <laughs> they have thousands of people doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I bet you a decent stock picking strategy would be to like look at a company break down their headcount of like if you're all like salespeople, you can probably bet that that company like will in the long term like their product will suffer and then in the long term like their stock will come down or you could at least make the you can make the assumption that at least their growth is predictable right right if it's like a sales company it's like that's the whole gonna... that's the whole idea it's like it's predictable revenue and right. you hire more sales people you get more revenue you're essentially buying revenue with sales people right um but where you get asymmetric returns is like innovation and things like that right so I think yeah like, like headcounts if all the people are in like engineering product r&d like that's probably a company that's going to be innovating it's just a matter of like how long are you willing to to wait for that and if if this thesis is even right <laughs> speaking of innovation you have a note in our like show notes about a thirty thousand dollar ferrari yeah um but this is something we were actually going back and forth about the other night yeah and we're like let's save it for the podcast yeah so give me your pitch on the thirty thousand dollar ferrari okay toyota corolla <laughs> take off the body take a ferrari body kit put it on the toyota corolla thirty thousand dollar i mean they have that it's called kit cars (laughs) yeah but it's not the same i think a consumer car that i mean the closest thing to this is the subaru brz but i think the new ones are ugly and whatever and i think they could have gone further with it why is it that only the three hundred thousand dollar cars look like three hundred thousand dollar cars and the thirty thousand dollar cars look like thirty thousand like there's no reason that a Corolla couldn't look so, like a Ferrari. There actually is. So I, I, after we had this conversation, I went and I started like searching a bunch of Reddit feeds okay. about, okay, why, why do affordable cars look affordable and why do expensive cars look expensive? Okay. Um, there's a bunch of like information, like a bunch of people like chiming in. Some people worked at car companies being like, we were at an all hands meeting and like someone just said, there's no money in small cars. And so that means that they just don't put any effort into like, and I'm talking about like physically small cars. Um, and so just like generally margins in small cars are are less. And so they put all of their like effort into like large cars, but like most large vehicles, like SUVs and things like that are just like never like design focused or utility focused. Mm -hmm. And so there's that piece. The other one that is actually like pretty tactical that I had, I had kind of read by this person talking and he was saying that, you know, um, one thing that helps subconsciously improve the look of a car is the number of shut lines. Um, and so the idea of a shut line is like, that's how many panels are created. 
And so if you look at like a cheaper car, they have like a quarter panel and then a door panel and then a separate piece. And there's all these like lines and it's kind of looks like it's like put together and it's like a thing. When you look at like a Ferrari, it's like beautifully crafted with like arches and things like that. And essentially what they were saying was like, from like a design and engineering perspective, it actually costs more money to create these body panels that are larger um, rather than building these like small panels. Um, and then in terms of the assembly, assembling small piece by small piece apparently is easier than doing mm. these like large panels. And so there is like an actual like tangible like engineering problem. But I've also always had this idea that you're that you're thinking, which is just like if you're an affordable car company and you're like trying to make a bet, you're probably you're you know, you're a publicly held company. It's like, mm -hmm. just go hire the designers of fucking Ferrari. Right. And like, take a bet or something like that. Right. Is that um, the, is the Corolla the best you could come up with, with like whatever budget was set? I think I what you could also make the argument for, and this might be a little bit, what like, it's the same idea as like, show me the incentives and I'll show you the outcome. You know, Ferrari is like, they're like, our price point is $400,000. We need to convince someone that this is worth $400,000. Mm -hmm. And then, because they have like higher margins and things like that, that means that their people are paid better. And so like their incentives are aligned to creating a car in which would be warranted that someone would spend an obscene amount of money. If you look at the incentives, like a affordable car company, the actual incentives are to create a car that's as good and as cheap as possible, right. not as good looking. It's right. like the value propositions of the two products are completely different. Um, and so I think that might kind of fall into it too, is like, what is the car actually trying to accomplish? Right, yeah, and every, and every company needs to focus on the thing. their thing yeah. but maybe it's a new car company where maybe it's a new car company it's for people that want a car that looks like a ferrari but they want to spend i, I think it's like a amount. really small niche market between the ages of 17 and 22 men yeah well this <laughs> this reminded me like when i was i think like 15 i was actually looking to see like does this actually exist? Does someone did it? And I found like some scam website. I don't, I don't even know if it's still around. But Right, but then you need to like install these body kits and like that has like a $10,000 installation fee. Yeah, and it's, it's like, like you, you get like a... It's nice. a lot It's a lot easier to just like make 300 grand and buy the... <laughs> <laughs> easier said than done. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the, what, what's the last thing you have in here? It's just, uh, you just have Zin 1.1 billion cans. <laughs> 1.1 B. I just, this is a tiny little note, but Zin... Apparently, according to Twitter, sold 1.1 billion cans last year. That's pretty wild. When you think about the fact that there's 7 billion people, like, and they sold 1.1. I will also say, I think that you and I were on this in train before all the hype. Before the hype, I yeah, think so. Yeah, 100%. We were, we was, when we were living in Arizona during, like, COVID, and, um, yeah, we're like, oh, wow, we found this, like, product, and we're just like, wow, this is, like, this is fucking awesome. This is a good product. This is a good product. <laughs> I was actually listening... Uh, one, like, I, I was listening to this interview with Theo Vaughn and Tucker Carlson and like yeah. Tucker Carlson is like the biggest Zin fan in the yeah. entire world. He's like, it's like the best thing for male vitality. It's <laughs> yeah, just like you have a Zin and it's like you drop it on the table <laughs> and like, um, but it is a good product. I mean, I've, it's a good product with diminishing returns, which is like, I think the case with like most substances. Diminishing returns in terms of how much you feel it. How much you feel it and like the benefit to like because you've stopped a few times i've stopped a few times and then started a few times it does and like there are these like guys on twitter that are literally just like you make more money when you consume nicotine and like <laughs> i think it's true and like i don't know like <laughs> I, I think there is something to be like there's something to be said about like my angst when i have when i have like nicotine consumption like i'm just a little bit more anxious and like in a good way hmm. like in a way that's just like 
and like part of it might be like actually like just like a physical thing of like i put it in i'm like i'm gonna get to work but yeah i don't know it's i i don't know i feel better but i've tried to think about it so many times is this something worth stopping um but i mean i just don't think it has any negative effect and it's something that i like people said that about everything what do you mean like Every sort of like nicotine delivery system has always been. Oh, I see. Has always been. There's like even when like vaping was for that was like, oh, this is the best thing. And we were talking about like Juul last week. And like then it becomes, you know, like I think. I mean, like potentially, but you also have to just like take into account these things are made in factories, you know, like you're not actually consuming them. I don't know. Like I, if I were at a crap stable and there was a bet for like Zins that has zero side effects long term and like has some side effects long term. Like, I think I would put the bet on has some side effects long term, just by yeah. the way history plays out. I think, yeah, like anything you're consuming every single day, multiple per day, there's a risk. Do you do anything else for, for, for like focus, any other like products? Um, no, just like coffee, working out, like standard life stuff. Do you? I think the only other thing that has like stuck, and like right now, I haven't, I haven't taken probably like. Eight, eight months or something like that but like modafinil has been right that, like that is like that. that is like a wonder drug in my opinion it's like adderall but not an amphetamine it's not as like up here it's more just like in your body and just like getting you zoned in um essentially it's a it's a it's a drug that they give to people with narcolepsy um people like that fall asleep by accident and i had i had found it based on like a dave asbury blog post and right. then i just like went down this like huge rabbit hole <clears throat> originally found it from like a guy selling it on like our version of Craigslist here in Canada. Um, it was literally like the, the posting on the classified site was just nootropics. Cause like, that's what I searched. And then he was like, I was like, do you have modafinil? And he's like, I have modafinil. And it was just like, it was this like Chinese immigrant that was going to school at university of Toronto and we would just sell modafinil. Interesting. But, and then, and then there was like the whole overseas yeah. pharmacy thing that was whatever. And then my last trip to Mexico, you can literally just like walk into the you pharmacy buy and buy it. And I, I bought a ton. I think a lot of places you can just buy it over the counter. I think in the UK you can. Yeah. Um, yeah. You you first showed it to me. I was taking it probably 60% of like work days. Um, it definitely increases focus. I, I feel like, I don't know if it wore off or, or whatever now, but if I have it, it's just like, it sometimes impacts my sleep, like, especially if I have like full one, um, I'm just like lying awake in bed and I'm like, this is Yeah, you have to worth. plan it out. It has like a 12 hour half-life. So it's like, you have to take it in the morning to not have it affect your sleep. Um, the only like side effect that I found like acutely and anecdotally is it makes me a little bit less patient, which like could also be a feature, <laughs> but like in terms of like, if someone like comes over and like talks to me when I'm like in it and just like, fuck you, yeah. <laughs> like, can you fuck off? Um, <laughs> So that's the only like side effect. And I know I had read a blog post from Tim Ferriss a long time ago and he was taking it for I think like four years. And he was like, the only reason he didn't, the reason why he stopped it, he was like, nothing this good doesn't have any side effects. That was his, that was his like logical reasoning for stopping, which is like coming from Tim Ferriss, like it's not as logical as it usually is or as like calculated, but um, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good thing. But I think that's, that's pretty much everything we've got um for this week week. uh if you haven't yet make sure to subscribe if you're on youtube follow us on spotify wherever you're listening um and this has been another episode of done this week talk to you later